Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 through 9. I'd like to ask you, and you don't have to answer, but if you've ever received something that has been passed down to you. As a third child of six kids, I was received a lot of things passed down to me, and then I continued to pass them down. But one thing that was really special to me that was passed down to me from my father once was a comb. And I know it doesn't sound very cool, like a hair comb. Who cares? But it was special. I'd never seen one like it. I don't think I have seen one like it since. It was just a metal comb, like a stainless steel hair comb, which seemed really interesting to me. But what made it special was not just what it was, but more importantly, who it came from. My dad had received it in high school and had it all through high school and college and for whatever reason decided that he would give it to me. And that was just so impactful to me that my dad would give me his special comb. Now, don't ask me where it is today, because I don't remember. But in the moment, it was a very special thing. And maybe you have given things to your children, or maybe passed on things to someone else, or received even something of way more value. Maybe a family heirloom, I I don't know, jewelry or something like that, that passes on from generation to generation. But in life, there are things that are far more valuable than those passing items, these items of earth of far more value, is our faith and our love for God. There is no more valuable heirloom to pass on to coming generations, to each other, than our love for God, than a heart that loves him and seeks to serve him. And I think here at Calvary, if I were to ask you, do you think it's important to pass on faith to the next generation, to pass on our love for God, to have our young people and even older people who are saved as well to grow in their love for God, I think we would all say, yes, that's very important. But I think it's also pretty evident, and I'm not thinking of just Calvary here, but thinking more broadly in Christianity, we see a lot of Christian families where that's harder, more of a struggle. Maybe it doesn't always happen. We see young people leaving the church, leaving the faith. We see grown-ups as well being faced with hard times and saying that they don't believe in God anymore. And I think there's a lot of reasons for that. I'm not going to try to diagnose them tonight. But ultimately, for us, for tonight, I want to look at the process. Because sometimes, or the, the fundamental steps in passing the torch, if you will, in passing on our love for God, Many times we didn't have it maybe modeled very well for us or we just don't know where to start or how to begin. So we're going to look at two fundamental steps tonight for the main point of the message, which is God wants believers to pass their love for him to the next generation. Very simple tonight. God wants believers, so that's me, that's you, Calvary Baptist Church, to pass our love for him to the next generation. And I chose those words particularly the next generation, I'm not just talking about children. Maybe some of you are saying, you know, I don't have any influence directly on children very much. But there are first-generation Christians who are older. Maybe Christians who have been saved a long time and their parents were saved, but they haven't grown as much. We are all disciples of somebody. Someone is teaching us, and we ought to be teaching other people, no matter their age. And so I might be focusing heavily on children tonight and the younger generation coming up. But I don't want you to be locked in on that and say, well, it's not for me. Check out. This is for all of us. 
in our relationships with people as we help them learn of their love for God and to pass that on to them, no matter their age. So two fundamental steps to pass on our love for God we'll see in Deuteronomy chapter 6, starting in verse 4, and I'll read that for you, and we will look at those two steps. Moses, speaking for God at this time in Deuteronomy, says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and thou shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes. And thou shalt write them upon the posts of thy house and on thy gates. God wants believers to pass their love for him to the next generation. And before we get into the steps, let's go to the Lord in prayer, asking him to work in our hearts while we study his word. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for Deuteronomy. Thank you for the opportunity to study this evening with brothers and sisters in Christ. I pray that you would help us use your spirit in our hearts to grow us and to challenge us. Please give us uh, encouragement to grow in the areas we will speak of tonight. Please help us to be focused on your word. We want to be more like Christ. Please help us to do that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The first fundamental step in passing on your faith to the next generation is to love God exclusively. Love God exclusively. We see this in verses 4 through 6, the first half of our passage tonight. It begins with verse 4, what is often known as the great confession. It begins with the word here. In Hebrew, that is Shema. So maybe you've heard of this verse being called the Shema in Israelite uh, literature and Israelite history because it is very uh, central to the Israelite faith. They called it the Shema. Anyways, so here, it's a call to attention. Listen up, O Israel. That was God's people of the time. We are in a different time now, but the call to attention still applies. Hear, O Calvary Baptist Church, if I may be so bold. The Lord our God is one Lord. This is a great confession here, a great acknowledgement of truth that the Lord our God is one Lord. Now, it's not just necessarily saying there's only one God, which it is certainly saying that, but it is saying he's unique. Thinking of the culture that the Israelites were in, it was very polytheistic in all the nations around them. People would pray to a God and not know if that loyalty to that one God would protect them from the anger and shenanigans of this other God over there. There was so many gods. But Moses, speaking for God to the Israelites, says the Lord our God is one Lord. He is unique. He is the one true God. This is the great confession. In verse 5, we see that from the great confession grows the great command. In verse 5, and this is something that Jesus quotes in Matthew, Mark, and Luke as well. It says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength. One commentator states, To love the Lord means to choose Him for an intimate relationship and obey His commands. To love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might is to love him with your 
whole being, but that commentator, what he noted, is that that doesn't require, it's not just in a, in a relationship. It is also connected to obedience. If we love God with our whole being, we are obedient to his commands. Loving God requires everything. What Moses didn't want the Israelites to be like is a lot like how we see some people today. And that is, you know, I will love the Lord with this amount of my life and then love me with this amount of my life. More often, it's probably more like I will love God with most, I will love me with most of my life and then give God this little bit of my life on Sunday or whatever it might be. What Moses is saying is that if you love the Lord your God, if the one true God is your God, then you are to love him with every part of your being. That is the great command. And it is followed again in verse 6 by the great commitment. It says in these words, which I command you today shall be in your heart. This is a very familiar refrain throughout uh, scripture. We think of Psalm 119.11 that says, Your word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. Colossians chapter 3 verse 16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. These words which I command you today shall be in your heart. These words, what is he talking about? Well, I didn't mention it before, but I'll mention it now, and that's the context. Every time we read scripture, and our teens will tell you this in Sunday school, I harp on this a lot, no scripture passage we study comes to us in a vacuum. It doesn't just float around and we pull it out and say, oh, it means what I want it to mean. It means something very particular in a context. Without looking at the whole context of the Bible or even the whole book of Deuteronomy, the immediate context in chapter 5, Moses is reviewing the Ten Commandments, the commandments given to the people of Israel. And of course, the Ten Commandments, often known as the Decalogue, wasn't just the only commandments they had. They had over 600 commandments to obey and to follow. And as Moses reminds them of this, he says in verse 6, These words, these commandments, which I command you this day, shall be in thine heart. What he's looking for, the idea is not just to have some of God's word in your heart, but to meditate on it, to saturate your heart with God's word. If God is the one true God, and you are to love him with your heart, soul, and might, then you are need to be meditating on his word, hiding it in your heart, letting it dwell in you richly, as Paul says. The word of God must permeate and overflow your heart. Though God had given Israel the law written on tablets of stone, it is always more important to God that his people have it written on their hearts. In fact, obedience to God often gets twisted into a, a legalistic mindset. Legalism just being trying to earn God's favor through your own efforts, basically, and requiring that of other people. But that's never what obedience to God should be. What God is looking for is obedience that grows out of a love for him. A love for him that is whole life. When we give our love to the one true God, it declares our loyalty to him as the one true God. Another commentator states, anything less than wholehearted devotion and allegiance would lead to a shared allegiance, which is impossible. 
Jesus echoes that himself in Matthew chapter 6 when he says you cannot serve both God and wealth. You'll be the master of one and hate the other, or, or the servant of one and hate the other, or you will hate the one and serve the other. You can't do both. It's the same with our lives, with all of life. We need to love God exclusively, only God. There's no room for loving God and my own desires, whatever that might look like. We must love him exclusively. Now, this is important for passing on the torch because what is inside of you comes out of you. I don't think there's any teens here this evening, but we talked about this in Sunday school. Think of a tea bag. You put a tea bag, maybe the English breakfast tea we had last Sunday with our missionaries, and you put it in a cup and then you put in the water and tea comes out. Now, why does the tea come out? Because of the hot water? You could argue that. But tea comes out because there's tea in the bag. If there wasn't tea in the bag, no tea would come out, even though the water is there. What's inside comes out. It's the same with the sponge. You fill a sponge with water and then squeeze it, and what comes out? Water. It's not orange juice. That would be cool, but that, that's not how it works. Water comes out because water is what's in it. When you pass on your love for God, it is directly connected to how much you love God and how much his word permeates your heart, how much love for him fills you. So maybe this isn't as practical as you were hoping, but this is so foundational for passing on love for God to the next generation. It has to start with me. It has to start with my love for God. That is the first fundamental step in passing on our love for him. This must be what we, as believers, strive to do in our own life. And for those that come after us, whether they are young children or grown children, grandchildren maybe, or even just a friend that we are building a relationship with and, and trying to shepherd together, work together to become better Christians, our goal is always to be to love God with my whole heart, to love him exclusively. This process is not immediate. I know. You all want to hear that you just choose to love God and then you do it. And your heart is overflowing with love and it's super easy. We are not just like soaked in kerosene and then you can light a match and then we're on fire for God. It doesn't quite work that way. Please don't take that literally. We, uh, it takes time. It's a slow process. We are sinners. We live in a sin-cursed world. Loving God is not easy. But it is vital and it is fundamental to how we live for the Lord, and especially if we're going to pass on our love to others. It is only through the overflow of our hearts that we can pass the uh, proverbial torch to the next generation. This is foundational because your walk with God is the foundation upon which we build our work for God. So many times we want to do the work, but we're not considering our own walk with God. You can't pass it on if you don't have it. You need to love God exclusively. Will you tonight choose to start permeating your life with the love of God, with his word, letting it seep in so that in the moments of life when you're trying to pass on God's word, pass on love for him, that is what comes out. Because that is what you are filled with. 
God wants believers to pass their love to him, for him, to the next generation. We must love God exclusively. And then in verses 7 through 9, we see the second fundamental step, and that is to share truth continuously. Share truth continuously. In verse 7, we see this idea of a repeating education. Verse 7 says, And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. Another translation translates it this way, and I find it helpful because this word teach. This word teach is an okay translation, teach diligently, but what is more helpful, maybe a little more accurate of a translation, would be repetition. The word translated teach here is to say again and again, to say over and over, not just to teach once, but to teach many times. I like to think of it as, uh, and this isn't bound up in the Hebrew word at all, but I like to think of it as sharpening a sword. Now we don't really carry swords, so maybe sharpening a kitchen knife. How often, if you're sharpening a knife, do you just pass the, the stone over it once and say, ah, sharp? I mean, maybe there's that out there somewhere. I've never experienced that personally. It's always with the sharpening tool passing over and over and over and over, repeating the process until it is sharp. So one translation, another translation, says it this way. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you are at home and when you are on the road, when you are going to bed and when you are getting up. Repeat again and again. And what is the them? I think we should clarify that. What is the them? Repeat them again. Teach them. Teach them. What's them? That is, in the context, remember chapter 5, that is, the commandments, that is God's word. For us today, God's word. That's how we can understand it. So this process is, first of all, repetitive. That comes from that word teach, to repeat over and over again. This process is then again, number two, this process is whole life. Moses says, when you sit in your house, when you're on the road, when you lie down, when you wake up, everywhere you go, everything you do, should be teaching the commandments diligently to your children. Teaching God's word to your children. And so this is, I think, very important for us. Um, one thing that I see a lot, what, what I grew up with, was in the morning taking the Bible or a devotional book, Our Daily Bread or something, opening it, reading a page, saying a prayer, and that was the walk with God for the day. And that's not bad. I'm not saying that doing that is wrong. But doing only that misses the point of what Moses is saying. Because he's saying it's your whole life. So when your child gets angry, you can instruct them with scripture. What does God say about being angry? This counts. Uh, with Ezra, I know he's only a year and a half old. But he is a sinner. And he does not like to be told what to do all the time. And sometimes he whines and he complains and he cries and he throws a fit because you told him in order to eat a watermelon, you have to first eat your corn. And it's a big deal to him. And so he whines and complains. And there's a couple scriptures I like to go to, even for him at his young age. And that's Ezra. The Bible says that children need to obey your parents in the Lord. This is good. 
And so that means when I tell you to eat your corn, you need to eat it. That's what God says is best. Or there's the other one I like to use, and that's, uh, I forget the reference right now, but in Philippians, Paul says, now Ezra, Paul says in Philippians, God says, do all things without murmuring or complaining. And that means eating your vegetables, taking the word and applying it to the situation. This is what teaching them diligently through all of life looks like. It's, it's not profound, but it's constant. And it's using God's word. And what I don't want us to miss is the importance of verses 4 through 6 in this verse 7. Because if God is the one true God, and I love him with my whole being, and I am saturated with his word, then when I go to teach my son, or I go to teach my kids for truth class, I go to teach my Sunday school class, my vacation Bible school class, I go to meet my friend, whatever it might be, when I go to do this, and I hear these situations, I oftentimes don't have time to do a quick Bible study on my own. Oh, hold on one moment, Ezra. Let me let Daddy look this up in the Bible, and let me look at the Internet and, and put together a Bible study. Okay, now I'm ready. Where were we? We don't usually have that time. What you have time for is what you have in your heart. And what is overflowing your heart is what you can then minister to those in the next generation. That's how you pass it on. It's not just this once and done at the beginning of the day, which again is not bad, but it's the whole life. And it's flowing out of what we have built in our own lives. And it's never too late to start building this into our lives. You must love God yourself. You must know his word well if you are going to teach the next generation. That's verse 7. Verse 8 and 9, we see a reminding education. Moses says, You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. This command here is likely uh, just a metaphor. He doesn't necessarily mean it literally, although there it is in history that they ended up taking it literally. But it emphasizes the continual, the need to continually teach the law, teach God's word, by having it influence every aspect of life. When it says you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, literally that's they shall be encircling bands. So what they did when they started doing this literally, uh, Israelite men would do this at certain times of the day or at certain um, religious times, and they would take a leather cord and wrap it around their hands, but in the cord, or attached to the cord, would be a little wooden box. And they would have little tiny scrolls that had the Shema, verse, uh, verse 4, and some other key passage of Scripture bound up and put inside. And it symbolized what I do with my hands. My actions ought to be guided by these principles. And they wore it as frontlets between their eyes. That's the Hebrew way of saying on your forehead. And it symbolized that what I do, what I think, is motivated by God's word, by these truths that I have internalized myself. One writer says, God's love and his covenant demands were to be the central and absorbing interest of a man's whole life. And that means, ladies, too, of a person's 
whole life. Now the Pharisees of Jesus' day took this, these commands literally, which is not necessarily bad, but they missed the heart. It became a legalistic ritual. They wore them on their hands, and they made them big and showy. They wore it on their heads, and they made it as big as they could make it. They made it a show. They made it more about gaining the attention of man and trying to please God their own way than about living their life in a way that pleased him. Oftentimes we can do that with our methods as well. Just trying to check boxes. Okay, I've done this, and I've done this, and I've done this. Perfect. Now God is pleased. But he's not worried about a checklist so much as he's worried about your heart. So let's review the connection again between verse 4 through 6 and 7 through 9. God is the one true God. Because of that, we, I, must love him with the entirety of my being. Everything I am needs to be given to love God, the one true God. If we love God truly with our whole hearts, we will obey his commands. And then we will also commit these truths to the next generation. But we can only pass on what is already in our hearts. And that is the key for the message tonight. I'd like you to think of building a brick wall. I was introduced to this uh, illustration recently by Pastor Dave, who's always helping me out, and he'd love to help you out too. But he's always helping me out. Uh, but building, think of building a brick wall. You don't build a brick wall by taking bricks and throwing them in a pile. Right? That would be weird. That wouldn't work. You build bricks, and I've never built with bricks before, so I'm just going off of my, my knowledge of watching kids' shows and reading books. <laughs> But you build a brick wall, and there's brick, and then mortar, and then brick, and then mortar, right? You lay a brick, you lay a brick, you lay a brick. It's not a very quick process, unless it's prefabricated, maybe. But a true brick wall. So, as we think about passing on our love for God, our faith to the next generation, I mean, we have children's teachers in here. We have those who serve in Kids for Truth in Sunday school, in junior church, in vacation Bible school, in Sunday school. You know, we have parents and grandparents, people who are invested in the lives of those around them. Every time we have one of those interactions, whether it's in a classroom or in your home or before bed or just having coffee, and we are able to pass on some of our love, our knowledge, our faith, and encourage someone that way, what we're doing is we're not building a whole house, we're laying a brick. And it takes a lot of bricks. So in our church, just think about Calvary and those, those ministries I listed. Every teacher lays a brick. Every parent, when they do devotions or have a conversation, lays a brick. And eventually, slowly but surely, that lays a foundation. And then a wall goes up, and then two walls, and then a house, an entire building. But it takes a long time to build that up. It takes faithfulness to God's word. It takes me. Not saying, okay, I've learned enough, now I'm done. But being committed. Not saying, oh, I, now, I'm, now I'm old enough that I don't have to continue worrying about this. And I've, I've learned all I can know. But continuing to grow in my knowledge and saturating my heart. So that the overflow can impact those around me. God does not expect us, thinking of a child here, but it goes for other people as well. God does not expect us to build a child's faith. Or to build 
to help them build their faith into a cathedral with every Sunday school lesson. It doesn't go that way. You lay one brick at a time. So whether you lead in devotions or teach a lesson or have a conversation, be encouraged. I don't, I don't see any change right now. Most of the time you won't see it immediately change, but you're laying a brick. You're laying a foundation, and that will ultimately help us to pass the torch. God does not expect us to be to get instant results. He calls us to be faithful. He calls us, me, to love him and then to share it with others and to be faithful in doing so. Maybe you find that's a struggle for you. You know, I, I still don't know how I can really impact the people around me. I still am struggling with that. Well, we have been equipped, gifted by God, by Christ himself, with a pastor who knows these things, who is well-equipped with God's word to help you with that. And I know, I didn't ask him ahead of time, but I know that he is willing and would love to help you with that. So if you need more help, go to the resources God has given you. His word, your pastor, the body of Christ. God wants believers to pass their love for him to the next generation. This requires, first of all, I've said it a lot tonight, but this is so important. It requires, first of all, that we love the one true God, our God, with our whole heart, every aspect of our lives. This love, then, is revealed in our obedience to him, in our meditation upon his word, which ought to saturate us. From this saturation in our hearts, we can minister God's word to the next generation as opportunities arise. You might say, well, I don't teach Sunday school, and I'm not in children's ministries, and I don't have kids or grandkids. It's not always about kids, but we do have opportunities. If you look around, we do have kids even in this service that we can interact with. When, when the opportunities arise, we have other people that aren't children that we can interact with. Maybe our children are grown or our friends, even, even our spouses. Praise God for parents and grandparents here at Calvary that love the Lord and do their best to share their love, to pass their love on to their children. Praise God for them and pray for them. Praise God for the teacher in Kids for Truth or nursery, in Vacation Bible School or Sunday School, in junior church, who give their time and give their effort to lay a brick of God's truth in the lives of young people. Praise God for them and pray for them. Praise God for helpers behind the scenes in those ministries who don't get seen as much, who don't one-on-one -on -one interact with the kids, but make it possible for others to lay the brick. Praise God for them and pray for them. And praise God for that there is a next generation. Praise God for those around us who need investing into their lives. Praise him for the opportunities to minister to them. Pray for them and pray for you as you work through those opportunities and growing. What a tremendous opportunity we have. At Calvary, we have children's ministries, we have children, we have so many opportunities to build into the lives of other believers, including the next generation of them. Let us commit today.
before the Lord, in front of each other, with each other, to soak ourselves in his word, to minister that same word to those who are around us and pass on our love for him to those around us. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for the opportunity to share your word. I pray that you would work in our hearts as we strive together to to be saturated with your word, to minister it to those around us. We thank you for the many opportunities for this that you give. We thank you for your grace and the strength you provide, for the forgiveness for when we fail, and the, the motivation working in our hearts to do it well, even after we have failed and throughout our whole lives. Thank you for your love for us. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.